Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22, we're moving through the book of Joshua in our series, Promised Land Living. And today our key concept is this, seek to understand how others misunderstand you. That's promised land living. Obviously talking about relationships today. That's our focus. How can we live in relationships where we are communicating openly and being understood, understanding others, and demonstrating the love of God. Have you ever been misunderstood? Probably so. I mean, you thought you were making yourself clear. You had the best of intentions. The words that you used were all English words, pronounced correctly to the best of your ability. But yet, you said something or did something, in the, maybe the way you said it, something caused you to be radically misunderstood. Your meaning was taken the wrong way. One man has captured the frustration of being misunderstood this way. He said, I know that you believe you understand what you think that I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. <laughs> Maybe you've been there. Sometimes misunderstandings are minor, and sometimes misunderstandings can be devastating. Today in our passage, we're going to look at what could have been a devastating misunderstanding. Let me set the stage for you. At this point in the book of Joshua, all the major battles are over. And the, the tribes have gone and taken possession of their various regions that have been assigned to them by Joshua and it's time now for the two and a half tribes that actually have their property on the eastern side of the Jordan to go home. We're talking about the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They have fought bravely. bravely. They have done their duty. And now they're allowed to go home to their wives and children back on the eastern side of the Jordan that they had left behind. Let's pick up the reading in verse 7. Joshua is speaking to those tribes, and we'll start at the end of verse 7, the last sentence. He says, When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with your great wealth, with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide with your brothers the plunder from your enemies." Up until that point in chapter 22, really, Joshua has been brimming over with thanks for these tribes, for their participation in the conquest of the land. 
These soldiers for the two and a half tribes on the east of the Jordan had participated, even though as they fight alongside their brothers, they're not going to get any more land. They're not going to expand their territories. Their assignment has already been made. Back in Numbers 32, Moses has made it very clear to them that even though they get their, their, uh, uh, their inheritance earlier than anybody else, they need to participate with the rest of the nation and help in the conquest. They had to be unselfish and work for the common good, even though they're not going to get any more land. But we see here that what they did get is the spoils of war. They got all sorts of riches And they went home enriched because of their willingness to obey and to honor their commitments to their brethren. Obedience has paid off, both for them and for the rest of the nation. Everything seems to be going so well until they do something that is radically misunderstood. Look at verse 10. When they came to Galiloth, Some of your Bibles will say the the borders of the Jordan or something else, but it's a translation. They came to Galiloth near the Jordan in the land of Canaan. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the, the altar on the border of Canaan at Galiloth near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now you wonder what's going on. And what's going on is this. As the two and a half tribes near the Jordan River, they think back to the divisions of the land that has just been made. And they note in their minds that the other tribes don't have a discernible border between them. There's no physical boundary. The the areas of their inheritance bump up together. We have a map I want to show you of that. Can we see the map? (laughs) Map. (laughs) Wow. Okay, there's the map. And so you see the dark line uh, is the Jordan River, and, and on the right side of your screen is Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. On the other side of the screen, screen are the inheritance areas of the other tribes. Those other tribes and their inheritance areas, they just kind of butt up to one another. But notice that the Jordan River divides off the three eastern tribes. This is what they are impressed with. And they think to themselves, what if one day... That physical barrier becomes so obvious and such a separation that we're no longer considered part of the nation. What if one day this river becomes a a boundary to our participation in not only the life of our brothers and sisters, but also the worship of the one true God? Maybe there will come a time when the western tribes, tribes come to think that the eastern tribes are not part of the nation. What should we do about that? And somebody comes up with the bright idea, well, let's build an altar. We'll build an altar on the Israelite side of the Jordan River, and this will be a declaration of our unity. It's going to be a monument to the fact that we worship the one true God just like they do, that we are part of the nation just like they are. Let's do it. Now, as I'm telling you that, I'm letting you in on the motivation for the building of the altar ahead of the story. 
The reader of the book of Joshua, as well as the Western tribes, they don't yet understand this motivation. They're confused about what they're actually doing. And so, once again, verse 12, the whole assembly of Israel gathers at Shiloh to go to war against them. Historical point. Shiloh, at this point, is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Shiloh was where they had established the tabernacle, the one that moved through the desert. Now it's located at Shiloh, and the Ark of the Covenant is is there. So that's the location of worship and sacrifice. We've actually discovered the ancient ruins of Shiloh. I think we have a picture of that. This is the ancient ruins of Shiloh. I won't spend a lot of time showing you pictures of rocks, but go to the next picture. This is an ancient olive press that has been uh, uncovered from the ruins of, uh, of Shiloh. And this is the location where, as I said, the nation gathers for worship uh, and, and in, in the tabernacle structure. And so they're worried as they come to Shiloh because when they, when they hear that this altar has been built on the borders of the Jordan River, they're thinking to themselves there's possibly two very bad scenarios that are being played out here. Maybe the eastern tribes have constructed a rival altar to Shiloh, a different place when they want worship to take place against what we've established in Shiloh. Or worse yet, maybe they have constructed an altar to a pagan god. One of the gods uh, of the pagan peoples nearby. Either of these concerns would be such a breach of fellowship and understanding that they're willing to go, to go to war. And there's another aspect to this. They know that they're a part of them. We're connected to them. They are part of the nation of God. And, and if they are actually worshiping a pagan god or violating God's intentions for the worship of, of, him, of his, his own uh, sacrifice and so forth in Shiloh, we're going to get in trouble. We're going to be part of the, uh, of, the, of the people who get punished. And so we want to make sure that this is taken care of. And so they're ready to go to war. And the the troops are mustering when wisdom prevails. And somebody makes a suggestion. Before we launch an attack, let's have a conversation. Let's talk to them and find out what's really going on. And so Phineas, the son of the high priest, Eleazar, and ten other men go to the eastern tribes uh, to have a conversation. Let's pick up the reading in verse 15. 22.15, it says, When they went to Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? They remember the sin at Peor back, back in Numbers 25 when some of the people started worship, worshiping the Moabite God. And they remember that God, a, a plague descended on the nation in punishment for that. They remember later on in this passage the sin of Achan who we saw plunder Jericho when he was not supposed to do that. And they recall that he was executed. Don't you remember what happened to him? And they, they lay out their concerns before the, three, the two and a half tribes on the eastern side. And it's fair to say that Reuben, Manasseh, and Gad, they are shocked to hear that this is the impression that they've been given. 
that this is what they're communicating in their uh, construction of the, of the altar. Go to verse 23. They're speaking there, the eastern tribes, and he says, If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us into account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, What do you have to do with the Lord God of Israel? The Lord has made Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites, so you have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, build an altar not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. You completely have misunderstood what we're doing here, they say. First of all, you've misunderstood the nature of this structure. This is not an altar for sacrifice. This is an altar in memorial. We're memorializing our unity and the fact that we are part of the nation and part of the worship of the one true God. Secondly, you've misunderstood the motive behind this memorial. It's not about being divided. It's about being united and wanting that unity to last forever. Because we can imagine one day our descendants would not understand how close we have worked side by side. We don't want to be divided. We want unity And we want to forever be reminded that we are one people before the one true God. Now, you can imagine that this is music to the ears of Phineas and the rest of the men who've come uh, to find out what's going on. And in verse 30, uh, he, he rejoices in what he's hearing. He says, when Phineas, the priest and the leaders of the community and the heads of the clans of Israelites heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. Catastrophe averted. Civil war avoided. They share their understanding and they name that memorial statue there uh, in verse 34. It's named a witness between, the Lord, between us. The Lord is God. The name's a little clunky, but it makes the point across. The Lord is God. Now, what do we learn from the lessons in this little story that we can apply in our relationships today? There's a lot here. Number one, talk to people not about people. Talk to people, not about people. Can you imagine what would have happened if the Western tribes never put a pause on their instincts to go to war? Can you imagine what would have happened if they believed the fake news and never checked it out? Talk to people instead of about people. Rumors can be dangerous. I read about a rumor in uh, 1761 in London. Somebody said that an earthquake would take place on April 5th. Many people fled the city. They were sleeping in the open air to avoid the earthquake that never came. Nothing tragic there. It was inconvenient, but rumors can be tragic. In 1321 in France, right at the height of the Black Plague, there was a rumor. And the rumor said that the Jews were not getting the plague because they had made a deal with the devil. 5,000 Jews lost their life because of that rumor. Fast forward to 2013, April 23rd. A false Twitter report went out that said that President Obama had been injured in a bombing attack on the White House. Totally untrue, but the stock market crashed at that news 
slowly to recover. It was a costly rumor. Rumors can be deadly and rumors can be costly. And the delegation went to the tribes. Sure, they were upset, but they had enough wisdom to ask some questions, to talk to them rather than just about them. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, do not fear the direct approach. Sometimes we're concerned about something. There's something in our minds, a little, little concern that wells up inside of us, but we never say anything. We never do anything about it, and we just let a relationship drift off. The reverse of that is the silent treatment never works. It never works. I mean, it's tempting in our pride to say, well, they know what they did, and I'm just going to wait until they come. They have to come to me. I'm not going to go to them. Silent treatment. It never works. It never works. Maybe we must lovingly confront somebody about something that they're allowing in their life. Maybe we need to pray to God to give us wisdom on how to speak to them, how to, how to bring our concern for them as they're maybe drifting away from the fellowship or drifting away from the Lord or drifting away from a relationship that's valuable. We're never eager to do that, but there are times when the direct approach must be taken. In this setting... They had suspicions and fears, and if what they suspected was true, things were not going to go well. And so they express their concern directly. They communicate, and they listen, and they love. Thirdly, the Western tribes show us something else, something about how we interact in a society of people. The Western Western tribes show us that the truth must be defended or it will be lost. The Western tribes think truth is fading away. They know they must act, because truth, if not defended, will be lost. Our society is confused about the truth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Our society is confused about the standards of the Word of God and and, and how we ought to be living in righteousness as the Word of God teaches us. And that is the best thing for us. Our society doesn't understand that. And one of the reasons our society doesn't understand that is because Christians water that down and they weaken that truth. And it will be lost unless we defend it. See, there's a positive side to the reaction of the Western tribes. They cared about what was right. They cared about what was true. In our society, we have lost the vision of what is ultimately important. We have elevated to ultimate importance tolerance. Tolerance of any idea, tolerance of any lifestyle, as if tolerance is the highest virtue, but it is not the highest virtue. The truth is, the highest virtue is following righteousness as God explains it in His Word. That's what we're called to do. But that truth must be communicated in love. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. In the setting, Paul is talking about speaking out for what is right and true, speaking out for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but doing so in a loving manner. See, the first impulse of the Western tribes was to defend the truth, but to defend it wrongly. Their first impulse was to go to war, to go to battle. But their last and greatest impulse and action was to listen and to demonstrate love. Here's the thing. Zeal for truth must always be wrapped in a loving package. For them and for you. 
Zeal for truth must always be wrapped in a loving package. Speak the truth, but do it in love. It's scary sometimes to do that. It was here. It was scary for them too. But when we speak the truth in love, the Apostle Paul says we will grow up into all aspects as followers of Jesus Christ. We get better at being a follower of Jesus when we say, I will defend the truth and I will speak it in love. In fact, there's only one aspect of humanity that shrinks when we speak the truth in love, and that is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride shrinks because spiritual pride uses the truth as a club and a weapon of war. Spiritual pride assumes the rightness of my cause without listening, justifies my action without caring. Spiritual pride shrinks when we're concerned to speak in love. The Western tribes started there. They started in indignation. They started in anger, but they paused And they did the steps of love. And what are they? They are pause, they are go, they are share, and they are listen. You see, we always have to have a proper balance between passion and wisdom. And we see they had the ability to balance that. There's a fourth lesson. It's possible to be on the same side and to misunderstand one another. They agreed with one another. They just didn't know they agreed with one another. It's possible to be on the same side and to misunderstand. This action that looked like a violation was nothing of the sort. But thankfully, they asked questions. They raised the issue. And when we take time enough to ask the question and raise the issue, we're able to put things in perspective. We're able to recognize we're actually in agreement here. We're on the same side here. Let's not misunderstand one another. Why do I say all this? I say all this to ask you, is there somebody in your life for whom you need to apply these lessons? Is there somebody you're tempted to give the silent treatment to? You're tempted not to go to? You're tempted not to talk to? Is there somebody who you're tempted to use the truth as a club rather than an invitation for a conversation? Speak the truth in love. A happy ending is possible. This story shows us that. And they leave what would have been a confrontation. They leave united in love, in agreement, and in unity. Love and unity is not found by papering over disagreements, okay? Love and unity is not found by pretending there, there, there never is anything wrong, by just kind of whistling our way along and ignoring issues. But it comes as we deal with issues and put first things first, but do it in a loving way. It will take effort and it will demand humility, but when we do it with a commitment to the truth, we see that we can be United again. Misunderstandings can be transformed to unity. Unity turned to love. That's what we learn. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to learn life lessons from these stories in the Old Testament. Lord, they they teach us so much and they show us so much about your heart and yourself and what you want for us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have been too proud to clear up misunderstanding. Forgive us for the times that we have simply written people off 
walked away from relationships without doing the hard work of love. And forgive us, Lord, when we confuse the issues. Lord, help us to speak the truth of your gospel and of your grace in love to a society that needs to hear it desperately. And we have the assurance of your presence and your power within us because we are yours. Thank you, Lord. We rejoice in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Would you stand together as we sing?
As always, after the service today, we have prayer counselors by the organ next to the prayer table. They don't wait for you, because maybe there's an issue in your life for which you need prayer. Maybe it's just what we were talking about today, a relationship that takes courage to be reestablished, forgiveness and humility, or maybe it's something else that you're struggling with, but they will represent you to the throne of grace. You slip forward. But first, let's all pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you are a wonderful Savior. Lord, we worship you today. And as we leave this place, we pray that we are able to live the kind of lives that see the highest truth and proclaim that which is most important. Help us, Lord, to represent you well, we pray. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.